Hello, and welcome to Unravelings, the podcast about stories and storytelling. I'm Mark, I have a background in English literature and storytelling. And I'm Charlene, and I have a background in social work and psychology. This week we're discussing Murder Ballads, which is a um, type of song which tells us a story of a murder, or technically various other crimes, but we're keeping it mostly to murder. We have put together a couple of playlists on Spotify. You can find them in our show notes for this episode, for the last episode, and also on our social media. One is the Unramblings Murder Ballads Expanded, which is all the songs that we listen to in narrowing down our selection of songs to talk about today. And then there is also Unramblings Murder Ballads, with nothing else on the name, which is just songs that we're going to talk about today, most of which are fairly strictly murder ballads. There are a couple which are a little bit more tenuous, which we might talk about as we get to them but they're all ones that we thought were worth including to talk about. The spoiler warnings for this episode are understandably going to be a little bit different. We're not going to give you spoiler warnings for all of the 25 songs that are on that playlist, because A, that would take forever, and B, I think even for my own taste, spoiler warnings for songs is a little bit less crucial. We are going to drop in in just a moment to include any spoiler warnings for things that we happen to end up talking about today. We'll also include content warnings, which we've found ourselves doing fairly reliably. We can go ahead at the top and give a broad strokes content warning. We will be talking about murder. A lot of these songs do discuss the murders in somewhat grisly detail. We're going to try to avoid that because we don't really want to be a torture porn podcast, but there will be murders and suicides described. At least discussed. And at least discussed. Uh, Again, not in grisly detail. And topics like rape child abuse, domestic violence, those also come up in a lot of these songs, um, and we'll note any other specific topics that might come up in the follow-up content morning. Okay, so throwing it forward to future Charlotte and future Mark. Hello, it's us from the future. We just have a couple of small spoiler warnings today, and they're slightly strange ones. We have a small mention of a story from Very Good Jeeves by P.G. Woodhouse, because what else would we talk about in the Murder Ballads podcast? There's a small spoiler for a scene in the comic Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, and there is a spoiler for Angel Season 2, Episode 13, Happy Anniversary, but we told you that it was an episode from Buffy. We were wrong. It's an episode from Angel. I think the content warnings that we just had are pretty much all that we need. At one point, we mentioned maybe adding Kim by Eminem to the playlist, But we didn't really discuss it, and it's a pretty disturbing song, so we decided not to do that. But feel free to look that up on your own if um, that sort of content is not going to disturb you too much. Okay, and we'll throw it back to the past. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back. I hope that those people are doing great in the future. This is normally the part where we would talk about a brief summary of the work for people who aren't familiar with it. I would recommend listening to the playlist if you can before going into this. However, we will be giving a brief summary of the story where relevant for a song as it comes up. We're not going to go through the story of all 25 songs right now because that would, again, take forever and not be interesting. Not great content. Yeah. As far as preparation for this episode, we did make those playlists. I want to give a quick shout out to the people that helped us put together that first initial playlist and people who weirdly just went, yeah, sure, when I said, hey, what, what a good murder balance. I'd like to thank Andrew Powell, Amanda Gutworth, my parents, and also Wiz Wisnet. Okay, so I think having told you that we're not going to do all the normal preamble about three times now, we'll just uh, go ahead and get right into it. 
Well, before we get into it, I do want to say we both have cups of tea with spoons, and it's very likely that I won't be able to catch all of the spoon cup noises if they are overlapping with things that we're saying. So if you hear those weird noises, that's what it is. Sorry in advance. Oh, and also, if I sound weird for the duration of this episode, it's because I am coming down with some form of cold and losing my voice. Hence the tea with spoons. Yes. Okay, so, into our discussion. For people who have listened to episode one or two, this discussion is, again, going to be a little bit differently phrased because we were dealing with 25 works instead of two. We're going to take a more categorical approach and talk about a device or something we see in songs and how it's applied differently, and then we'll move on from there. It'll be a little bit more freeform. So I think the first thing that I wanted to talk about was narration. So I did a bit of a breakdown of the types of narration that you get in these songs to sort of see what sort of trends you see. I mean, the first, most obvious division is between first person and third person. I should also say that, like, obviously, we're going to talk about trends in these songs, and we're dealing with 25, not every murder ballad that has ever been written. But I think that we got a fairly good range of things, so I think that this is probably a fairly true thing, but it's not as scientific as some people might like. Yeah. So you see a fairly even split where I am with the songs that we had. I've been saying 25, but actually it's... 23 songs, two covers of songs there, and then one more that we're not really going to talk about until later. So 13 of those are third person, and 10 of them are first person. Within the first person ones, because that's going to be the easiest one to talk about, there's one song that is from the point of view of both the murderer and the victim, and then every other song is from the point of view of the murderer. There is a big fat zero for songs by victims. I suspect that there is one out there, and if you happen to be listening to this and know of a song that is told from the victim's point of view, I'd be interested to hear it, because I'm sure there is one I can't think of. That's interesting. I think that it is interesting that the breakdown is so overwhelmingly, in fact exclusively, the murderer telling the story in the ones that are first person, because I think that does tie directly into what is the story trying to do, and I think in a lot of cases where it's, it's first person, the narrator is trying to get you to sympathize or at least understand why they committed a murder. And in a lot of cases, they're victims or they're subject to a lot of very toxic social pressures that lead them into a position where they think it's an okay, justifiable or necessary thing to commit a murder. Did you look at what proportion of the first person narrators had been victims of some other crime or wrongdoing before committing the murder as revenge or out of desperation? I did not look at that. I've got it broken down between whether the first person narrator is a man or a woman. I'm going to quickly make a note that as far as gender goes in these songs, we're talking only in binaries because I haven't found anything where there's a discussion that suggests that the narrator or the characters in the song are anything else. Uh, So in the male first person narrator ones where they're the murderer, we have Possum Kingdom by Toadies. Possum Kingdom by Toadies is a song that if you read between the lines or watch the music video is clearly about a guy who is obsessed with this woman and invites her out, I think, to the lake and anyway murders her. So the the music video really spells it out. It's a guy disposing of the body of a woman that he was obsessed with. Which I don't think that there's any evidence of a societal wrong there or anything wrong. No, not so much. It's really just the obsessiveness and objectification of women type of thing. We have the Rakes song, which is about a guy who gets married and starts having kids and then decides that he would, or misses his free and clear life 
And then when his wife dies in childbirth, takes the rational choice of killing off all of his children. So that he can go and be a free spirit with no attachments. Yeah, because the Decemberists are interesting people. I, again, I don't think that anything happened to him in that one that it, it's a response to. Mariner's Revenge, also by the Decemberists, because they like writing songs about murder. That one is very much a revenge song. Oh, totally. As given away I by, mean, you know, the, title. the name. Yeah. <laughs> That's one where child's mother has ended up in a relationship with some wasteful rake-type character who runs off and leaves her with all of his debts and tuberculosis. And then she dies and he ends up tracking him down into the belly of a whale and murdering him. I don't actually think he murders him. I think he just wants the satisfaction of knowing that he's going to die. It's it's not clear whether or not he murders him. Well, there's the sort of, like, curse that's uttered by the mother that plays throughout. Yeah. Which is effectively... Bury him alive. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, I think because his mother wanted him to bury the rake alive, that he just le- watches him die in the belly of the whale. Like, I... She wanted him to be trapped and suffering. I take the music playing the tune of the curse at the end mm. to and like in that increased speed to be him Oh, like stabbing him or something? Or well, tying him, finding him, mm-hmm. all that jazz. So we won't get into that in the gra- gra- graphic yeah, the description of it. But yeah. I take that to be him doing that to him. And then presumably he sits alone and waits in the belly of a whale to whatever happens to people that are in a belly of a whale. Anyway, yeah, it's clearly a revenge song one way or another. Yes. The last two on this list are going to be interesting ones, because one is Country Death Song. Right, which is a story in which, it's basically a story of cabin fever, where a guy is talking about how he and his family live in a really isolated part of the country, and there's nothing to do but sit around and think. And he also talks about having nothing to eat and nothing to drink, and so it this is a family that's starving out on the outskirts of civilization, presumably, and so he kind of goes crazy. That's what he says. He says he goes crazy, and he kills his daughter, one of his daughters. I mean, he's got an impetus from the way he's ended up because of society, but he hasn't. Like, it's not a revenge song at all, which no. I think was your initial question. It's been so long. <laughs> no, it's not a revenge song. And then there's Bullet for Ramona, which is a Warren's Even song in which a guy tracks down his girlfriend who has not been his girlfriend for two years and finds that she's with someone else and then kills her for cheating on him and then flees to Mexico, which, which if, if you've not been with someone for two years... And they left you and have been avoiding you for two years. They're, they're not cheating on you. And, like, it's referred as for two years she's been free. Mm-hmm. Like, the, 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 the character in the story know, knows on some level that... Warren Zeven, at least, is trying to make sure that the audience knows that he's self-aware yes. enough that, that this is... That this guy's fucked up. Yeah. Which is interesting because from the character's point of view, it's revenge for cheating on him. But in society view, I would say not a revenge song, just like you're an asshole. Yeah, just a an, yet another song about obsession and objectifying somebody and being mad that they're their own person. Spoilers for later in this podcast, that's going to be a thing. <laughs> so for the male-voiced uh, songs, you have one song that is very clearly a revenge song, one song that the character in the song thinks it's a revenge song, but the singer seems to perhaps disagree, and then you have Country Death Song, Rake Song, and Toadies, uh, Possum Kingdom, which are all very much not revenge, it's just men being assholes. Or crazy. One of the two. Yeah. And what about with the female narrators? 
th this one's a little bit easier to do because there's there's four here um, in our selection for the first person narrators. For the female ones, there's the box that it came in. Which is a revenge song. It's a woman who is going to murder her ex-husband after he stole everything that wasn't nailed down from the house, including her wedding dress. And essentially it's, I'm going to kill that asshole for doing that, for leaving me completely destitute. Which is one of the songs which is arguably a murder ballad. I think that was one of the ones that we were like, yeah, She probably. doesn't actually kill him as part of the song, but she is very much stating that she is going to kill him. Like, she is yeah. hunting him out. Shotgun Blues by Bella Fleck. Which is about a woman who is saying that if she had a shotgun, she would shoot the man who, it seems, molested her as a child. And the narration does show later on that she is not an adult because she says that if she were a big girl, she would have the man hanged. But I guess because she's a child, she doesn't think that anyone will believe her. So she is planning to kill the perpetrator herself. And then you have, on the other end of that spectrum, I Want You by Delane, which is about a woman who is extremely obsessed with someone and runs them over with a car because if she can't have him, no one will. Right. Which is definitely much an obsession song rather than a revenge one. Mm -hmm. And inventively titled Murder Ballad by One-Eyed Doll. Murder Ballad by One-Eyed Doll is a song about a woman who killed her man, quote unquote, right after he told her that he really loved her. And from all of the lyrics, it seems like she killed him because that was too overwhelming. Like, the idea of the future she could see for herself in that relationship was too much for her to process. And so she killed him so that she didn't have to deal with it. Yep. Which is a very interesting song, and it's it has a lot of really lovely nuance to it, and I highly recommend that you guys listen to that one. I think the music's really good for that one as well. Yeah, um, it is also really beautiful music. Well, I think that it... Um does a really good job of sort of emphasizing that while she's there rationalizing and explaining why she did this sort of to herself it's sort of got this haunting regretful tone to the music itself yes the music and some of the lyrics like then a lot of the the connotations of a lot of the words that are used even in excusing or explaining i guess she's not really trying to excuse so much as explain what happened does definitely show that she feels terrible about it and she's not really quite sure why she did it. And so you really have to listen closely to kind of put together the emotional state um, of this person who it seems just couldn't reconcile her own self-identity and her identity coupled with this person who also seemed to have been a somewhat obsessive person. And so she felt in some ways like she would be limited by being committed to this person. I think the last thing I want to say about the narration that's an interesting one with the breakdown for the first person stuff is every song with a female nar first person narrator, the victim of the murder is a man. Whereas when you look at the songs with the male narrators, it's a much more diverse crowd. Mm, that's true. Because there's killing a lover, killing someone you're obsessed with, killing someone who wronged your family. Who is a man, and this is Mariner's Revenge. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Rake's song, Killing Your Family. Mm -hmm. um, country Death Song, Killing Your Family and Then Yourself, mm -hmm. and then Blood from Ono, Killing Someone You're Obsessed With. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's still that trend of the obsession in there somewhere, but it's much more of all over the place. Mm -hmm. And I wonder to what extent it's... When, when, I, when I hear a song like The Box That It Came In, I don't necessarily 
agree with the narrator's choices to plan to murder someone, but I understand them. Mm-hmm. And I think that generally in the female-led songs, the wrongs that have been done that have led there are more understandable. Not so much in that one, but... Not as much in Murder Ballad, because in Murder Ballad, it, because one of the lyrics is, I was his first obsession, and I think that really says a lot about, you know, I could have been with him forever, you know, why did I kill him? I did it for love. I did it because I knew you'd want it all someday. And I think that those are the lyrics that really give it away that what this was about was this person said that he loved her, but really he had her on a pedestal. Mm. And some part of her knew that, and also, but also loved him enough that she, in large part, was tempted to go along with that relationship and build that future. But another part of her knew that that was a mistake, and so she killed him instead. So I think yeah. I think that that one is more of a, I didn't have the strength to confront him in another way and leave him in another way. The only way I could avoid later on feeling trapped and resentful and having a lot of pain in this relationship was to kill him now, <laughs> which... Again, I back to what you were saying, it's not it's something that I, that I condone or agree with, but it's something that you can wrap your mind around and you can kind of see the sort of twisted logic there of how someone might justify that in their minds. Yeah. Like, this is my only way out. I'm trapped. I think it's only any of the female narrators that I listen to their songs about killing someone of the other gender. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can kind of see how you get there. And I wonder how much that is the society side of things. Because I think as far as the male narrators, the only one that I can see the side of is the Mariner's Revenge one. And still, I think maybe maybe he should have just let it go. Yeah, the Mariner's, um, Revenge, the Mariner's Revenge one is, I think, a great illustration of that idea that holding a grudge is taking poison and expecting the other person to die. Because in that story, yes, his mother was left destitute and died of tuberculosis because this guy had gambling debts that he left her settled with. He says, you know, after 15 years, after he's grown up, he gets a good job in working for a priory, which is a place where he presumably had shelter and food and was doing okay for himself. But he just dropped it all the moment he had news of the guy who wronged his family and literally gets swallowed by a whale and presumably dies because he's so hell-bent on revenge. Well, I don't know. that There's historical slash biblical precedents for surviving being swallowed by a whale. You don't know what happens in the end there. I feel pretty confident that they both die. Okay. But, the- but, but my point being that, yeah, he could have had a better life for himself and his siblings in terms of providing for them if he let it go. But I yeah. guess, you know, he was very close to his mom and that was what her dying wish was, you know, you really need to get that guy. <laughs> but I feel like the rest of the male voice songs, you're really... Like, at the end of it, you're going to go, what the fuck? Like, I don't... Yeah. Like, there is something wrong with that person, fundamentally. Yeah. So I wonder how much it is that in our society it's easier to understand why a woman does something like that than it is for a man, or at least easier for a first-person narrator to make that point, mm-hmm. whereas for the other stories you need to go to a third-person narrator for it. I wonder if there's an extent to which we're more likely to sympathize with women who kill us their way out of 
some sort of social trap, especially involving like a man who has a lot of power in their lives, like a husband or a boyfriend, because of the historically lower amount of social power women have had in terms of society, like of being recognized as having their own autonomy and being able to make their own decisions and also just physical strength generally being on the spectrum generally less lower for women. And so yeah. that's why I, I definitely was told when I was growing up, like that if someone was trying to attack me, I needed to, I needed to fight dirty. I needed to do things that might cause lasting injury because it was my best way out. Like you go for the eyes, you go for the throat, you go for the genitals, like, and you get the fuck out because you are most likely the smaller, smaller and weaker person in that altercation. And you're the best thing you can do is get away. Whereas if you're a guy and you do that, people are more likely to think that's a fucked up thing to do because there's this idea that you shouldn't be causing lasting injury in a fight. You should just be kind of standing your ground, making enough of a show of strength that the other person will leave you alone. But your, you know, your honor and your integrity and also your life is not at stake in the same way as a woman's often is when she is in a dangerous situation like that. Yeah, and I think that's a good segue to go over to talking about the 13 third-person songs that we have on this list. I do want to say that no one's honor is actually compromised in any way by anything anyone does to them, but I know that a lot of people do feel that way and people get a lot of messages like that. just wanted to say that. And I do want to say, we're going to talk about some of the murderer's motives being sympathetic, and perhaps we can understand their point of view. Don't condone murdering people. Just want to go on the record. I can see, like, from a narrative device, I can understand why these people got to this point and why the story is there about them. I don't think that murder is the right option. That being said, so in the 13 third-person songs, there are three that have exclusively female vocals, and I think the one that most makes sense to go to first is Goodbye Earl by the Dixie Chicks, which is a song about two friends from high school, and one of them leaves town afterwards, and the other one ends up marrying some guy called Earl, who about two weeks into their marriage starts beating her up and abusing her, and when she tries to file for divorce and he puts her in intensive care, and ignores restraining orders, and her friend comes back from out of town, and they decide to kill him, and poison him, and get rid of him. And the police and no one else really seemed to care, because he was kind of a dirtbag. Yep, and they move on with their lives and, like, start their own business selling preserves and country hands. They're, they're much happier together than anyone was with us. Yes, exactly. I, I think we are intended very much to sympathize with them, because you get sort of a lot of the gloaty lines about the killing. I think Shallon's line has been uh, is it dark inside that turpel or something? Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty great line. And it also gets points for, I think, being the jauntiest song about murder on our playlist. One of, definitely. It's definitely a very upbeat and, like, bubbly song. Like, yeah. I would definitely say that song is bouncy. Yeah. Which is an interesting counterpoint to the subject matter, and I think does really helps to sell the idea that it's this is not anything that hurts society in any way, that everyone's better off, you know, this is a, a thing that was really in the best interest of everybody. It's a missing person that no one really missed at all. Yeah, yeah. it was one of the lines. It's fair, it's not exactly um, deep in its analysis of the situation. But. No, but it, it does go to some lengths to establish why murder was the choice that they made because they you know she does say that she she filed for divorce she 
tried to let the law take it from there is one of the lines. And, but he walked right through that restraining order and put her in intensive care. And so it's like, okay, this is a person who did all the quote unquote right things. You know, this is a person who tried to reach out to the supports that were available to try and help her get out of the situation. And that did not work. And at the point where you've tried, you know, the things that you're supposed to do, I guess murder is left. You, is, try, you try the things that you're not supposed to you, do. Yeah, I guess, yeah, at that point you might try the things that you're not supposed to do. So... I think the next one here is uh, didn't know the gun was loaded. Oh, that one might be the jauntiest one. Yeah, okay. Like, it's, like, it's very 1920s like dance floor music. When was that song worse than I meant? I don't know, that? but like I could definitely see people doing like the Charleston to it or something. <laughs> or as one of the um, one of the musical numbers in Chicago, like, like the Cell Block Tango is a great compilation of murder ballad vignettes. So it was originally released in 1949 and was apparently actually featured in Fallout 76. Hmm. It definitely um, has that kind of sound. The Fallout game that I will probably never play. What is the deal with that? That's the online one. Oh, okay. But that one's interesting as it has two murderers in it. And didn't know the gun was loaded. There's a Berlin town who, it seems as though every time a guy tries to mess with her, which does make her more sympathetic perhaps, she shoots him. And is known, like, is known for her gun skills, but gets off every time by claiming she didn't know the gun was loaded. Eventually shoots the sheriff in the hip, apparently. But not the deputy, I understand. And when the judge is going to let her go free for that one as well, the jury is, I forget exactly. The sheriff's wife takes umbrage at the fact and shoots her and then claims that she didn't know the gun was loaded. Yeah, it's a hoisted by your own petard. Yeah. I think that when we get into the third person ones, there's a lot more sort of social commentary going on in them. Oh, definitely. Like, definitely Goodbye Earl is saying, fuck abusive assholes, I guess. Yes. Didn't Know the Gun Was Loaded is an interesting one in that it's sort of looking at the power that women don't have but can have but shouldn't abuse. You take this one. I think that one's an interesting illustration of women taking advantage of some of the negative stereotypes of them and some of the perceptions of them as weak and weak-willed and mild and meek to get away with things that aren't those things, you know, to play on those stereotypes to obscure how they might actually be pretty cold-blooded. Yeah. I think the rest of these, I I do want to say before we go into the rest of them, when we were looking at these, a lot of the murder ballads are either folk or country or blues. We did take a look around to see if we could find some stuff that didn't fit into those categories. I think I Want You by Delane might be the one. (laughs) Oh, Possum Kingdom. Oh, and Possum Kingdom. I think it's probably because those genres lend themselves so much and like focus so much on storytelling. Mm-hmm. That it just enables the song to be about the story of the murder and not something like just about murder. We had on our original list songs like Psycho Killer and Murder by Numbers, which are great songs, but they're about murder rather than about the story for it. So as we walk into these ones and there seems to be a lot of folk and country, we did look for other stuff. I realized kind of late into preparing for this podcast when we were pretty much ready to record it that we probably should have looked at Kim by Eminem as something to include Hmm. because that's a very long narration of a man whose wife is leaving him and him saying that he's going to beat the shit out of her and kill her because he can't live without her and it sounds like, you know, he's planning on killing her and then killing himself. So, but it's... 
it's pretty messed up. It's a really messed up song, and we can maybe add it to the list late. But yeah, it's also, I think, in that category of murder ballads, but not country or folk. It's yeah. A famous folk singer. So with the rest of the third person ones, there's a lot of sort of similar trends that you see. A lot of them are that sort of folk. We're telling a story about a thing that happened and there's sort of some common themes that I think we'll get into in a minute. It's interesting that only one of those is the last female vocal ones, Outlandish Night, and then most of the rest are male voice ones, but that might be more to do with our selection. Um, I think the ones that are third person but don't fit into that category that we haven't talked about yet are Excitable Boy by Warren Zevon and Maxwell Silver Hammer by The Beatles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think both of those sort of t- go more into a depiction of toxic masculinity issue as their motivation. Yeah, and we did talk about mas- uh, toxic masculinity in the Shining episode, and we didn't really explain what we meant by it or define it in any way but i do think it's important to say that when we are talking about toxic masculinity we're not saying that like masculinity itself is toxic what we're talking about is a lot of uh, concepts and behaviors that are toxic that have also become tied to masculinity in some way in our society and because of that association with masculinity we tend to actually or at least feel pressured to excuse those toxic behaviors or ideas um, or even encourage them. So these are things like men as people who should be very sexually focused and uh, driven to like conquests and things like that, or of viewing women as objects in a lot of ways. A lot of those kinds of behaviors and attitudes have become tied to the idea of masculinity in a way that's really not good for our society and not good for men. Also, a big part of toxic masculinity is this discouragement of boys to be in touch with or express their emotions in any way unless that emotion is anger. And that's, I think, one of the biggest parts of toxic masculinity. And you talked about it a little bit earlier with the killing people for honor type of thing. Yeah. I think that's a lot of that same stuff. Mm -hmm. We'll put some extra material in the show notes, just like a link to something that clarifies some of that stuff in more detail. I do want to clarify toxic masculinity is bad for society, bad for men, bad for everybody. Yes. All Yes. But Excitable Boy is sort of an embodiment of that in that it's about this kid who very early on shows signs that, you know, some are fairly benign, like he, like, pours the dinner all over himself, um, but then he, like, bites an usher's leg in a movie theatre, and it slowly progresses with this always, oh, he's just an excitable boy, it's it's what boys do, boys will be boys sort of mentality, and gets down to a point of him raping and killing his prom date, being in prison for several years, and then coming out and doing more shit of the same sort of problematic stuff. Well, one of th- that one's really weird because it's not even just... It's essentially the excuse boys will be boys is used to hand wave away some really bizarre and troubling behaviors that are probably indicative of a pretty severe mental illness. And because those weird behaviors are just brushed off as boys being boys, this guy ends up hurting people, multiple people, but also is not getting the help he needs. Like, one of the things to me that strikes me as, like, though this guy has a problem, like, this this guy, like, there's something up with him, is, like, the end of it, 
he gets out of prison, and he digs up his prom date's body and makes a cage out of her bones. That's not a thing that a healthy person does. That is something like, a really deeply obsessed and troubled person does, and that person maybe should have been getting some sort of institutionalized help after the murder rape of his prom date. Perhaps not the type of institutionalized help that looks like prison. Exactly, um, exactly. And so it's it's one of those situations where this boys will be boys, boys do weird, gross, and somewhat violent things idea ends up keeping people from getting help. You know, it ends up letting people get way, way worse and exposing other people to more danger. Yeah. And then Maxwell's Silver Hammer, I think, has a bit of that as well, where Maxwell is seen as this kind of charming, intelligent person. Like, he asks a woman out on a date and then turns up to her house and kills her and then also kills his teacher. And then when he's up in front of the judge, like, there are women in the stands up saying he should go free. And then he kills the judge because the judge isn't planning on letting him go free. Right, and I think that one is, like, sociopathy, the song. Like, yeah. You know, this is like, okay, this guy is a serious psychopath who also views murder as the expedient solution to his problems and also or the and also the expedient way to feel powerful and because he's charming, people just keep going along with him. Yeah. That one I think is a bit of an outlier. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's all I really wanted to talk about with third person. Well, with narration in general, was there anything you wanted to Mention before we move on? No, I don't think so. So the next thing, because in my, my preparation for this looked an awful lot like going through and categorizing the songs as best I could, I took a look to see what uh, the varying genders of the murderer to the victim were. Mm-hmm. Like overall or just within third person? Overall. Okay. Like m- moving on from narration everything. For all the songs, some of these pose certain trouble problems because there's large numbers of people in the song or... Something like trying to categorize country death song is a little bit strange. So that's almost in its category of its own. But what what do you think I found? I think you probably found that most of the murder victim directions were cross-gender. Like there's mostly women killing men and mostly men killing women. Is that what you found? Let's see. That one is... I'm just looking at the outliers to see how those fit in. Yeah. Yeah, there is more cross-gender stuff. If it's just a person of one gender killing people of the other gender, then there were five songs where it was men killing women, but there were six songs of women killing men. Mm-hmm. There are four songs where men are killing men. There is only... Well, there are two songs which are women killing women, but they're actually the same, the same story. Same story, yeah. Because it's Two Sisters by Tom Waits and Cruel Sister by Pentangle, which are both telling the same traditional folk story. Yeah. The fairy uh, a fairy tale in which a pair of sisters are both into the same guy, but the guy falls for the younger sister and is courting her, and the older sister pushes her younger sister into a river to then capture the affection of the fiance. Yeah. Um so it's the same it's a fairy tale, I think it's in Grimm's fairy tales, but it's definitely an, a very old story. Yeah. And there's the Tom Wakes version who the murderer is gets a little bit more murky because the miller is out fishing and pulls her out of the river. The younger sister. And then the older sister pays him to push her back in the river. 
Yeah. And so, then the miller gets hung for the crime at the end. And as far as I can tell, the sister gets off scot free. Yeah, so you have the sister attempting murder and then the miller completing the murder. Yeah. Whereas in the Pentangle one, there's a couple of travelling minstrels find her body. But and... they don't kill her. No, they find her body and as you do when you find a body, make, make, a, harp. A, make a harp out of her breastbone and her hair, which which is weird, and then turn up to the king's court, which is her father, with said harp, which seems even more problematic, and then the harp starts playing itself and tells everyone what happened, which is delightfully dark, but... Yeah, well, the... I think it's at the wedding of the older sister to the fiancé. Yeah. Fairy tales are weird and gruesome. Yeah. yeah. There's some interesting choices made in both of those songs that I'm not sure I would... I mean, like, I love cool instruments, but I, no. I mean, we've had this conversation before. I think that if you're... If a body is to be made into interesting and fascinating objects, that there needs to have been some discussion and consent to that process before the person dies. Like, that should be outlined in the will. Like, I get, the same way you would donate your body to science. Like, I donate my body to art or to music. <laughs> you know? I don't know if anyone's ever donated their body to music. I'm sure someone has. There have been some real odd ducks through <laughs> yeah. history, so... Well, this has become a strange conversation. Yes. Let's get back to the normal mode of <laughs> Yes. So our weird dark tangent from our weird dark podcast. We're, we're going to have some lighter episodes coming up soon. It's not all going to be trauma, vagina, gatekeeping, and murder. Yeah. That's just apparently what we've done so far. I was really surprised at how small a number of the songs are about men killing men. I don't know whether it's just that that's not news. Hmm. But the only ones I have on here that are just men to men, no confusion, are Mariner's Revenge, and then Carolina Drama, which is a raconteur's song. Jack, there's also a Jack White acoustic cover on the playlist. Um, so if you want to listen to almost the same song twice, you can. <laughs> which is a guy finding that his mother's boyfriend is beating up his dad mm-hmm. and killing the boyfriend for it, mm-hmm. and then heading out of town, which is sort of a revenge song. And the boyfriend had historically been abusive to him and the mother, so it's also a revenge for the domestic abuse that they're ongoing. Harper by Tom Paxton, which is another honor one. Harper is the guy who knocked up the narrator's daughter and refused to marry her. And so the father, while his daughter is in childbirth, tracks down Harper to kill him so that he, one, will not put anyone else in that situation again, and two, to, like, avenge his, his daughter's suffering. Well, I don't think he tracks down Harper. I think oh. he's there waiting with his daughter in labor and waiting for Harper to come. Mm. So. And then the Ballad of Emmett, Emmett Till. Which is a song about lynching. Yes. Of Emmett Till. And based on a true story! Yay! Yeah. The world's a terrible place. Yeah. The Ballad of Emmett Till is a very interesting one, and it's definitely an outlier in this playlist because it's really more of a commentary on a, a social evil that had been ongoing during that period of time of your racial terror lynchings, which I think also came up in The Shining. So if you haven't gone to see the memorial to Peace and Justice, definitely should. It's a really amazing memorial to all the victims of racial terror lynching. We'll uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to some stuff about their mission and what they're doing. Yeah, but Bob Dylan in that song describes the lynching of Emmett Till, which, again, as Mark said, is based on a true story, and is very clear about this is a thing that these people did, not for any good reason, but just because they were terrible people and they're racist, and the jury, the trial 
afterward was a complete sham and there was never any justice for this man. Like, it, he's very clear about that in the lyrics. And people who committed the crime are on the jury and you can't actually... Right. I, it is one of my favorite things in that song is that the line that's something, something to the effect of, like, they said they had a reason, but I don't remember what or something. And it's just like, yeah. it's, it's not important what they said it was. It was... Yeah. And he, another point, he said that... He says that he, they just did it for the fun of killing him. That's yeah. one of the lines as well. And, like, no matter what they said their reason was, the reason that they actually did it was as a really sick and perverted form of entertainment. And it's made very clear in the lyrics of the song that, like, the two guys that copped to it were not the only people involved. And they only took, you know, credit, I guess, for it because the clamor for a trial was not going to die down until there was a culprit and other people who'd been involved in the lynching were on the jury and thus like the whole thing was complete crap so it's it's a very powerful song and also a very different subject than most of the other murder ballads on the playlist well i think that there's a few more that sort of fall into similar categories that are on here that we haven't talked about because they're that sort of third person folk song that we sort of put to one side before Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's another Bob Dylan song, but it's the Ballad of Hollis Brown, mm-hmm. where it's it's a story about a man who, or a man and his family who live out on the outskirts of town, and their well runs dry, and they've got no food or shelter, and you know there's wind blowing around the door, sort of situation, and nobody will help them. It's a sort of I've got mine, they don't have any friends that will support them situation, and Hollis Brown ends up killing his family and himself rather than waiting for people to starve to death or waiting for coyotes to come and eat yeah and that one is really interesting is also does seem to be a commentary on the community and also like community responsibility of you know this didn't have to happen it's like one of the last things before he decides to do that is he prays for a friend and comes to the conclusion that he doesn't have any friends you know, he's not enough a part of that society that they're, that anyone is willing to, you know, help them get past this rough patch. I mean, and, and it's quite a tragedy because any spell of bad luck like that is usually temporary. You know, if they were able to get through that season, they might be okay after another year, but now you will never know because they're all dead now. So, you know, if anyone had helped them out, it would have been very different. Welcome to Unravelings, the cheeriest of podcasts. Um, yeah. I do think that one's particularly powerful right now, where income inequality is so pronounced in our society, because there's also a Rise Against cover that we included on the playlist. So this is a song that has continued to speak to people enough that bands that are contemporary are covering it and, and making their own version. And, you know, we're in a situation right now where a lot of people are really struggling to get by, and it is community that is helping people make it you know, to their next paycheck, to, you know, the next school year, to their next job, whatever. And when people don't have community support to fall back on, people do fall through the cracks and end up in really dire situations or dying. Yeah, it's actually an extremely heavily covered song. Mm -hmm. Um, If you take a look on Wikipedia, there's something like 25 covers of that song. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to someone about it just the other day and talking about Bob Dylan and mentioned that song. And they said, oh, is that a Bob Dylan song? Because they just knew a cover of it and it wasn't the Rise Against cover they knew. Yeah. But it's one of those things that reminds me of like the GoFundMe campaigns for insulin and cancer treatment and things like that. Like, yeah. you know, these are people who they're, you know, a lot of people run into circumstances where they need to reach out for the support of friends, community members, even strangers 
to make it another day. And when you have tried that and you can't get any support when you reach out, I mean, humans are a social species. We're not built to survive alone. We need a community in order to get anywhere. And when we don't, we die. So cheerios to podcasts. <laughs> um, vote. Yes. Also, complete the census. Because the census is how your community has an idea of how many people there are and how much funding to give to various support programs and infrastructure. And if you, you know, want to have enough or the appropriate number of uh, representatives in Congress and enough funding for things like everything, know, everything, yeah, roads and after school roads, programs, libraries, and supplemental like food, everything, just. We need to know how many people there actually are. Two and a half episodes to get political. I'm the, census, the census is not a partisan thing. No. And even if you're not a citizen, you should complete it. Yes. Um, there, for is example, no citizen, there is no citizenship question that was taken, that was struck down by the Supreme Court. There will be no citizenship question on the census. So please, please fill it out so that we will all be counted. Yep. So back to murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, all the murder. I think there's three more here that are interesting. I think they're the three that we haven't talked about already, which is The Outlandish Knight, which is also based on an old folktale. I think you did the research on this one, and it's sort of a combination of three different common stories that get interweaved or something. Right. It's, it's apparently another one of those, like, cruel sister or two sisters, where it's a story that's been told in the form of ballads and poems. For a long time and people have backtracked and found the different versions of the song and there are like four or five main versions of it of this story and they're all called slightly different things yeah um, but this is a song that people have been singing for a very very long time yeah but effectively it's this night from the outlands i guess the north i think right yeah. like from the north i'm assuming the outlandish night is supposed to be mm -hmm. a pun so um, comes and courts the daughter of a king and takes her away with him and then intends to push her off a cliff into the sea, um, as he has apparently done seven times before. Well, six times before. Yes, in different stories there's different numbers, but okay. yes, in the song it is six times before and she's supposed to be the seventh. And he tells her to take off her clothes because it would be too much of a waste to lose those into the sea. And she cunningly gets him to turn around so she won't see her naked and to bend down over the cliff edge to cut away the brambles so she won't hurt herself. And then when he does that, pushes him off into the sea because this guy's a fucking idiot. Yeah. And we should clarify that his motive for this is just greed. Like, he's apparently convinced several wealthy families to, you know, send their daughter away with him to get married in his home country. So he hasn't actually married them. And then he just takes their money from, like, the dowry or whatever that's given to them and, like, the nice horse that the family provides and the nice clothes and that, etc. So he's just making a, a nice profit on all of these murders. Yeah. Yay, capitalism. Maybe not. Too much of a stretch. And then I think the other two are ones that sort of end up in the toxic masculinity realm that we didn't talk about before. One is Cruel Brother by Steel Ice Fan, which is... Just a weird song yeah, um, about a guy who wants to marry a woman and the woman asks whether she, uh, he's asked her whole family and he's like, yeah, I asked everyone except for that one brother of yours and then that brother kills her. 
It's interesting because he stabs her and she like bleeds out over a period of hours, like on the ride, like they get married and as they're getting ready to leave and she's like on her horse, I think he stabs her like in the side or like in the chest. And so then like, as she's riding away to start her married life, she's like slowly bleeds out. Yeah. It's really fucked up. Yeah. It's really messed up. And then he gets hung for it. But it's just that sort of weird level of objectifying and possession. Yeah. It's like, oh, you didn't ask to have my sister. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going back to this idea of women as property. Yeah. Um, and also, in that situation, you should stab zero people. But if you're going to stab someone, surely stab the person that didn't ask rather than... Never mind. It's a whole thing. Um, it's that same thing as in I Want You, where it's if I can't have her, no one can. But also, she's your sister and you shouldn't have her anyway. Anyway. Yeah, it's real weird. There's Jack Orion by Pentangle is a very similar sort of problem, but I feel as though one of them is kind of cast as the hero, maybe a problematic way? I don't think so. So in Jack Orion, a musician who is a nobleman plays music outside the castle every day, and he and like the princess who's in the tower form a like relationship connection. They haven't actually met in person, but they've communicated back and forth a lot as she's like requested music and he's played for her and she eventually invites him to come up to her bower presumably to have sex or something or get married or whatever that princes invite people to their bowers for anyway so she invites him to come at a particular time so jack orion the fiddler goes home and tells his assistant i have you know an appointment to go visit the princess or whatever at this particular point in time And his assistant is like, oh, you should take a nap. I will wake you up so that you have time to get there. And then when his master is asleep, the apprentice goes, or assistant, whoever this guy is, goes and pretends to be Jack Orion to get into the princess's bower and then, like, ravishes her. It's it's described that, like, he was not a gentleman about it. Like, he pretty much just, like, bore her down to the floor and just had sex with her there and then, like, bailed. And it's very ungentlemanly. And she's just like, okay. And so then he leaves. And the guy who was actually supposed to go to the bower, Jack Orion, wakes up and is like, oh, I'm going to be late for my meeting with the princess. And he goes over there. And the princess is like, here's him coming up. And it's like, oh, are you, did you forget something when you were here? And he's I, like, I've never been here. I, I think it's more, oh, did you want some more? But well, well, she also does ask, like, did you forget, like, your glove or something? Oh, okay. Or, or she's like, did you forget something? Or did you just come back because you wanted more of my love? And he's like, I've never been here. And she's like, oh, no. Like, who was that guy who came here and who I slept with and he's like it must have been my assistant and she's like oh shit you know I can't risk potentially being pregnant by that strange guy who I didn't know and so she kills herself because she can't risk her reputation like that I guess and he's in love with her and also really angry and he goes home and he kills the assistant and himself and is like because of your horrific actions now three people are dead that's a very long version of the story. I mean, it's significantly shorter than the song, which this, is a... Oh my god, the song is like 20 minutes long. <laughs> to be fair, there's very little they could have cut out to make it shorter. That five-minute xylophone solo really makes the song shine. 
I'm not even joking. There's a five-minute instrument break, and most of it is xylophone, and I, I have so many questions. Yeah, but that is the song man rapes woman because she thinks he's someone else. If it's if it's false pretenses like that, that is rape. She did not consent to have sex with the assistant guy. She wanted to sleep with the man that she had a relationship with, even if she'd never met him. It's like if you met somebody online and you became very close and you invited them to come over and you hooked up with them and then you found out that that was actually someone who had hacked their account. Like, they, that's rape. There's actually legal precedent for it in the UK. Um, oh, really? Because there was an instance where a woman's husband's twin slept mm. with her, and she thought it was her husband. Yeah, that's and right. And it got classified as rape in the end. Yeah, if so. if you're not who the person thinks they are when they consent to the encounter, they don't have all the information to consent to the encounter. Yeah. It's also rape if, say, you agreed to use a condom and then you don't use a condom. That's also rape because the person did not consent to that. Yep. You know, no, not everyone was on the same page, and that's not okay. Oh, Unramblings, the, podca- the podcast where we exhaustively uh, define rape for you. Anyway. Uh, we're really upbeat, right? Oh, yeah, so upbeat. So that's the story of Jack Orion, and also the explanation for why that song depicts a rape. Yep. Again, I feel like there was some stuff that could have been let go in that song. Like, I, I feel that Jack Ryan killing himself at the end as well is a little extreme. As you say, he's never actually met this woman before. I think him killing himself at the end is definitely part of that idea of masculine honor for the time that it's depicting where he's feeling like he he exposed that woman to this situation yeah. and it's his fault that she has okay. killed herself and because it's his fault he feels he also has to die for it because of his part in what happened yeah i guess i haven't thought about them the fact that like he has kind of opened her up to that by taking a nap i don't know no, it's i feel not... there is one shit bag in this story yes i don't think it's actually his fault the the person who did something terrible and the only person who did something terrible was the assistant who went and raped this woman under false pretenses what Jack Orion and the princess were trying to do is, like, he was a man of noble birth who was appropriate enough for her to, you know, liaise with, and they knew each other for a while and wanted to have sex. And that's maybe, I mean, they weren't married, and also this time they probably, that's probably not necessarily on the up and up. But, like, as far as I'm concerned, they're consenting adults who yep. made an arrangement, and then this guy was a shit bag. So. Yeah. For that matter, I don't think that the princess should have felt the need to kill herself because somebody raped her. No. Like, that's horrible. I, yeah. I feel like we maybe didn't pay enough attention to that. Like, that's awful. Like, the, it goes back to what I wanted to clarify about before, that somebody doing something to you does not mean that you are bad and yeah. tainted in some way. Um, I mean, I perhaps brush over that because in the story, it's the the concern that she might be pregnant from it. And in that time period, I don't think that, that is necessary. And I think that that time period was probably a problem. But like, I, I understand the reasoning behind that one more. Um, it's still just kind of fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, definitely very messed up. Okay, so I think as far as the breakdown of who's doing the murdering and who is being murdered. The only category left is where more than one person is being murdered. Yeah. So what do you have for those? So I've got male to either female or family mm-hmm. slash suicide, mm-hmm. um, which we unfortunately have two songs in this category, um, which is the Ballad of Hollis Brown and the Country Death Song. Yeah. I do think those ones both tie in 
in an interesting way to ideas of like the head of the household and like the man of the house and like mm. some ideas about men being responsible for the well-being of their family that can get very toxic. It's not necessarily a toxic thing. It is when you look at it as like the man is responsible for the well-being of the household. At this point in our society, that's not really true anymore. In a lot of households now, the primary breadwinner is a woman or their two income households, especially with the income inequality that we talked about a little bit earlier. And I think both of these really get to that idea, like the somewhat archaic idea now of men taking on so much of the responsibility for their family's well-being that it can drive them crazy and help them rationalize the idea of killing their family as a good thing if it protects them, quote-unquote, from the suffering that they otherwise wouldn't be able to shield them from. It's like, better that you die at my hand than suffer starvation, exposure, etc. Yeah, where that choice isn't at least not explicitly being given to them. Right, exactly. And that's really the problem with it. I know that there are definitely some people who are like, but that's a, that's a mercy killing. And like, what? who wants their kids to suffer? You know, sure you, surely you should spare your family and children suffering if you can. But it's the kind of mental acrobatics. It's the sort of mental acrobatics you see in things like postpartum depression and a lot of other mental illnesses where those thoughts are transient, but they are some of the most terrifying thoughts that people can have yeah. is that, you know, I should kill my kids so that they don't suffer. And it's a, it, it's really awful, but it's a thing that people do think. And that's, I think why they crop up in, in these songs where like people thinking, Oh, well, if I can't do my duty as a man in these particular cases to, you know, provide for my family, then I should at least do the next best thing and save them, quote unquote, from suffering from my inability to provide. I think that both of those, in Country Death Song, a little less than Ballad of Hollis Brown, because Country Death Song, he doesn't kill his whole family, and it does seem to be more of a cabin fever situation. But because there is that buildup at the beginning of characterizing their situation as being pretty desperate, I do, I do feel like it's in that kind of camp as well. Yeah, no, I can see that. Particularly the line like "I pushed with all my might, I pushed with all my love" in the description of murdering her by pushing her into the well, where it's like he is at, at the moment of doing this, characterizing it as an act of love, even though he then realizes that it was a horrible thing to do and he shouldn't have done it. So you know, and then kills himself in shame, also part of the song. And it's the same thing with the ballad of Hollis Brown, where his family is described very clearly as being starving and unable to smile because they're in such desperate a state. And so he's come to the conclusion that the best thing he can do for them is just kill the whole family. Yeah. But yeah, so back to what you were saying before, the even though there are a lot of people who might be like, Oh, but you know, it is a parent and a father's responsibility to give their child the best life. And if their family can't have a good life in the current circumstance, like I can see the justification or whatever, or why you might think that that's a reasonable thing to do. The point there is, again, a lot of these types of desperate situations are temporary. And even if they're not, it's not for anyone else to decide that someone else 
should be mercy killed. In Ballad of Hollis Brown, he kills his wife and his five kids. And it's like, maybe there was some work his wife could have gotten that could have gotten the family by, you know, maybe they would have made it through that season and things might have turned around, but he's just made that unilateral choice for all, all seven of them. I mean, from what we're told in the song, at least. Yeah. The other ones that we've got for the group stuff are, didn't know the gun was loaded, Mm -hmm. where it's a woman killing men and then a woman presumably killing a woman. At least shooting one. Who who then falls down. Probably dead. Yeah. But I think we talked about that one recently. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then the other ones are both men killing multiple pe- types of people. So Maxwell Silver Hammer. I think that I didn't know the gun was loaded and Maxwell Silver Hammer are both kind of showing this sociopathic person who's just killing people because they can get away with it. Yeah. Um, not the, the, the bell at the beginning of I didn't know the gun was loaded. Yeah. She's killing any guy that she decides deserves it and her bar for deserving it seems to get steadily lower yeah so she and i can kind of understand how that might happen the first time like some guy is trying to take advantage of you and you don't necessarily have the physical strength to overpower them so you shoot them and you lie and say you didn't know your gun was loaded that you just carried it to intimidate people like this um and then they're like oh you poor thing you've been through such a trial of course you wouldn't you know it's fine and then she's like, oh, well, that worked great. So anytime anyone does anything that I feel is out of line or even just irritating, I'm going to shoot them and because I know I can get away with it. And then Maxwell Silverhammer, it's kind of the same thing. It's like anybody who he thinks he can get, you know, get away with killing, he's doing it. With the, um, didn't know the gun was loaded, just that rationalizing, like, oh, you poor thing, you've been through such a trial. There's um, in one of the Jews and Worcester books by P.G. Woodhouse, which is written back in the 30s, 20s, 30s. There's a woman that the main character, that Worcester is infatuated with, and she's been driving around in her car at 60 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, in areas that are heavily populated, and hits a man. And, you know, he's going, oh, well, you know, she, you know, it must be very hard to be in that situation where people are just throwing themselves in front of your car. <laughs> that same sort of, like, oh, poor you. It's kind of been shot over there. <laughs> Yeah, well, though... Uh, he might have... He might have been a dirtbag who was trying to rape her or something. We don't know, but we do know that she kind of goes mad with power yeah. and just starts shooting anyone she wants to. Like, when that happens once, I can kind of understand when it is happening, like, all the time. At that point, the common denominator is you. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one I've got here, which I think is a good one to... Segue into what we talk about next is the rake song. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because it's it's not the same as the Hobbs Brown one where he's like, oh, this is what's best for everyone, and he's killing his family. He's killing his kids because it's what he thinks is best for him. Yeah, but the rationalization in that song is just not there. No, it is like the, the rationalization. Like, okay, okay, his reasons are enumerated, but at no point does he want you to sympathize with him or think well, he is a good person or anything. I don't think he succeeds in doing that. Hmm. But, like, he's not telling you he did this terrible thing. He's telling you he did this thing and it was perfectly logical. He does say, and that's how I became your awful narrator, he does characterize himself as a terrible person. Well, he characterized himself as a poor narrator. <laughs> Uh, but no, I mean, like, he, 
he's explaining the things and like there's the one kid that like fights back and like he burns their body for incurring his wrath and things. But the entire song musically is very level. He sure. The vocals are just matter of fact mm-hmm. spoken out. Well, Colin Malloy does his sort of like semi singing, semi just vocalization. And like there's a line towards the end where like some of you probably think I should be hunted, but it never really bothered me. Yeah. Like he's like, I mean, yeah, I did this thing and it was because I was in a position which I didn't want to be and I wanted to be in this other position, so I did the thing and now I'm here and that's and I mean, if you want to judge me, you go ahead and judge me, but I think I did the right thing here. I don't think he ever says that he did the right thing. He says it doesn't bother him. And and again, I think right. this is a case where we're hearing about a sociopath yes. who doesn't form the same sort of emotional connection to people as is typical and also doesn't have a conscience in the same way that most people do. And so he's just seeing these kids that he, that are his kids as a burden and, you know, an impediment to him being, you know, footloose and fancy free and running off around the world, you know, whoring and whatever. So he kills them because to literally, I think he actually just says, so my burden, I began to, to divest. Like, yeah. he's, it's literally like he has some stocks that are underperforming, and so he goes and sells them off to their, uh, someone else's problem, except he just murders them. Yeah. Yeah, so like in, in Break Song, it's a lot of the same objectifying and like not seeing the victims as humans as much as things that you see in what, Where the Wild Roses Grow. Right, and since we haven't really talked about Where the Wild Roses Grow yet... That's a duet by Nick Cave and Kylie Minogue, where they both sing different parts. Nick Cave sings the part of the guy who kills a woman that he's infatuated with, and Kylie Minogue is singing the part of the murder victim, the woman who gets killed. And it's this guy kind of courts her for a few days and takes her to see where the wild roses grow and kills her. And he says... He's doing it in some because all beauty must die, and it's very much he's seeing her as a beautiful object that will not stay as beautiful as it is forever. And her just the descriptions of her parallel the descriptions of the roses, and yes. there's the refrain that they call me the wild rose. But my name was Eliza Dane, and it's interesting because she's the one she repeatedly tells you her name, but the murderer we one we never get his name, but he also never refers to her by name. He always just says, he just uses pronouns for her and just describes her mostly physically, but never actually talks about her as a person. Yeah. Is it bad that I just think of the murder in that song as Nick Cave? (laughs) Like, if there's someone that we've talked about today that we were just like, yeah, the person singing that song's probably killed someone. Nick Cave's probably killed someone. I feel like that might be a bridge too far. So you were looking at murder ballads, and there is a subsection about murder ballads that's just Nick Cave murder ballads. He gets his own section because of the number of things he's written about murder. He's a weird-ass dude, and he's probably killed a person. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully we won't get sued for slander. Yeah, we'll be fine. Anyway, so that's the basic premise of Where the Wild Roses Grow. There's that same sort of objectifying. It's that same sort of, like, Nick Cave's lines in that song are very much just stated. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he explains that, you know, he took a rock in his hand and mm-hmm. he did these things. Mm-hmm. And 
he gives a vague idea of why, but there's not really any sort of you know like attempt to defend it. It's just a statement sure. of what it is, and it's defended by the fact of well, why would you question it? Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't seem to feel like he needs to defend the action. When right. the raped also feels the same way, like he's saying, giving you essentially like a laundry list of the children he killed. And just not feeling remorseful or guilty at all or acknowledging in any way that this is a bad thing to do. The most he does is like that shitty apology thing where you're like, I'm sorry, you're upset. He does the equivalent with the murders of like, people might think this is a shitty thing to do, but it doesn't bother me. So it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I'm sorry if society thinks murder is wrong. You know, I'm sorry if you're offended by me killing my kids. Um... Charlene Green, 2019. But I think that there's like a... In categorizing sort of the motivations of this, one of the main categories that I came up with is this sort of obsession over someone or objectifying them. Mm -hmm. And whatever the murder is, it becomes about... Like that person... The person isn't a person anymore. They're a thing. Mm -hmm. So like Cruel Brother, Mm -hmm. where the brother is killing his sister Mm -hmm. because... She didn't ask, uh, he wasn't asked if she could be given away. You know, mm-hmm. She's the possession. See if you disagree with any of these other ones on here. Uh, Murder Ballad by One Eyed Doll. I think that one's an interesting subversion of that whole trope because in Murder Ballad by One Eyed Doll, the mm. woman who's been objectified and is being perceived as an object kills that man who's objectifying her because she doesn't want to be trapped in the relationship where she's an object. Which is really interesting because in all these other situations you have a usually man, but also in Delane's I want you, a woman, people killing the object of their desire, quote unquote, because objectification can never really live up to reality or reality can never really live up to that pedestal. Yeah. I should have read this list backwards, shouldn't I? Uh, Sorry. Cruel Sister slash Two Sisters. Mm-hmm. Actually, that one is a similar sort of thing where between the sister, like, the older sister is kind of objectifying the guy. Yeah. And is killing her sister so she can have the thing. Mm-hmm. Because that's how love apparently works. And as they, as, like, the final scene in that one, at least one of those songs is at their wedding, like, mm-hmm. apparently it works. Like, mm-hmm. if someone's in love with your sister, try killing your sister because maybe they'll just marry you instead. That's... How, well, that, that fairy tale seems to imply. Bullet for Rona. I right. think it's probably... Yeah, a, because... I have this idea of you as mine and uh, you have exerted your own free will and shown that you are not mine and so I'm going to destroy you. Possum Kingdom. Right. Yeah. Possum Kingdom doesn't give you a whole lot to go on. It doesn't. It's very subtle. And, like, it's very... You really have to read between the lines to get the implication that this is a guy murdering a woman he's obsessed with and really the music video is what kind of hands that to you. Yeah. Because the lyrics are... It's very between the lines. And then I want you. Mm-hmm. By the way, which you already mentioned, yeah. um, is I thought was interesting enough to keep on the list because it's mm-hmm. that same thing that you see in so many of the male voice songs of like the "I can't have you, so I'll kill you," mm-hmm. but it's it's a female lead instead. Yeah, some of this idea of killing people because they can't live up to your expectations, or because you're so obsessed with them that you have to kill them in some way, it reminds me of. A particular, a particular issue of Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, where Johnny the Homicidal Maniac goes on a date with this girl named Debbie, who he really likes and who seems really cool. And because, and like, they're having a good time. And so he tries to murder her because he wants 
to like basically preserve the moment, the moment where they're together and having a good time and nothing has gone wrong. And so it's like, in order to prevent there being a future where this falls apart and you don't love me anymore and this becomes painful, I'm going to just murder you now during the good part so that I can have this crystallized moment of perfection to mm-hmm. sort of savor. And you see the same thing. There's an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where a guy who's like a physics genius creates this machine to freeze time and he decides to freeze time during the moment when he and his girlfriend are having what he knows to be like a pre-breakup sex. He overhears that she's going to break up with him and give him the sympathy bone, quote unquote, as they refer to it in the, in the episode. And because, oh, the 90s. Right. And because he knows this is going to happen, he sets up his machinery. He wants to freeze time and trap both of them in this moment where they're together and being intimate, which is so twisted. But like, I can kind of almost see the weird logic. It's like in order to prevent having to live through the disappointment and the emotional pain that comes, that can come, but doesn't always come. After a moment of feeling connected, I'm going to just cut everything off at the moment that I like. And I think it gets around to that whole all beauty must die line in Where the Wild Roses Grow. He's describing this woman as really beautiful. And also she keeps being compared to this ephemeral beauty of the roses. And so he's saying, you are this beautiful object you will no longer be as beautiful and amazing you know in the future so i'm going to kill you now while you're at your peak um and the same thing with possum kingdom it's like i'll i promise you uh you will you will stay beautiful with dark hair and Mm -hmm. soft skin like that's part of the lines yeah you know and it's it's i'm going to save you from having to decline in value i'm gonna yeah. It's the whole forever thing that's at the end in the be my angel. Like, yeah. I have this unrealistic expectation of who you are. Right. And it's it's not even, it's not seeing you as a whole person who's going to go on and have their own future and their own thoughts and their own drives and motivations and that aging doesn't have to be the end of the world. It's, I want, I'm only seeing you as this moment in your life and this specific aspect of you that I value and yeah. that I want to experience and own. Yeah. So the other really big category I got when I was breaking these up by motivation was revenge songs, which we touched on a little bit earlier. So I'm just going to quickly go through this list and you can tell me if you agree. Mm-hmm. And then there's a sort of subcategory of revenge that we'll get into a bit more. Jack O'Ryan. Mm-hmm. Box of the Canaan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mariner's Revenge. Obviously. Didn't know the gun was loaded. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because it's the murder at the end. Yeah, is that one's one. revenge. But the earlier ones, I think, are more... Sociopath. I guess it, 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 <laughs> either sociopath or revenge for um, other things that we're not told about, but most likely at least some of those are just, I can get away with murder, so I will. Yeah. Goodbye, Earl. Mm-hmm. Shotgun Blues. Yeah. And Outlandish Night. Yeah, I think those are all revenge songs. They're not all just revenge, but they are all revenge. Yeah. And then sort of underneath that, I've got a couple which I've got listed as honor, which are sort of, I've separated out as they're revenge songs, but they're revenge with this odd sense of honor involved. Mm -hmm. Um, So like in Carolina drama, 
he's getting revenge for the boyfriend beating up his dad. Mm-hmm. Like, he kills him and it's, like, that man that left his dad in disgrace. Right. So it's sort of, the, it's revenge for what you did to someone else side of things. Yeah. Which might be true of Mariner's revenge as well. Mm-hmm. But, and then Harper, which seems very tied up in honour. Um, yeah. Because it's the, you wouldn't marry my daughter after getting her pregnant. Mm-hmm. And therefore you're damaging my honour and you're damaging her honour and you're damaging your own honour. Mm-hmm. And the only honourable solution to this is for you to die. Mm-hmm. Um, in my worldview, my being the, the narrator. narrator of yeah. the song. Jack Orion, I think, is also an honour one. Yeah. That one, I think, is definitely a, and like wrapped up in these ideas of honour, both with the woman killing herself because she feels it's the only way, it's the only honourable thing she can do. And then Jack Ryan going and killing both the assistant and himself because of their role in her having to commit suicide, or her feeling the need to commit suicide. Yeah. yeah. I feel that that's all fairly conjured. I We talked a bit about revenge earlier. And stuff, yeah. So. And then the other stuff I've got is sort of this weird little mishmash of things, which I've got under the heading of social problems, which I'm not really sure is a useful heading. Mm-hmm. So as a crossover between honor and social problems as sort of the reason behind the murders, is Hollis Brown. With the, the man who kills his family? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in that it's the... The real uh, bad guy there is the community that... That never doesn't support them, mm-hmm. but it's his honour of, like, better this than... Right, as the, as the provider for this family. Right. By social standards, this um, is all I can do. Social problems to isolation? The country death song? Yeah. Um, that one's weird. Or just mental health. I I don't know what's I don't know what to say about that song. To be honest, what have you got? That one is difficult because they don't give you enough background about the family situation to be totally sure that it was all down to being isolated and in desperate straits. The only explanation he really gives is that he just had nothing to eat, nothing to drink, nothing to do but sit around and think, and lost his mind. Yeah. So that's not a lot. And then he, it's not like he tries to justify it, like he's saving her from any sort of suffering, except that he characterizes killing her as an act of love. So it's, it's another one where you could read a lot into it. You could read very similar circumstances into it as Hollis Brown. Yeah. But you could also see it as like a straight up cabin fever or, you know, isolation situation. I've got under social problems, toxic masculinity. For Maxwell Silverhammer and Excitable Boy. And I think that crops up in a lot of the other ones, too. Well, I've got it crossed over to Wild Roses Grow and Cruel Brother as well, Mm -hmm. along with their obsession and objectifying side of things. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's certainly a part of a lot of them. I mean, we can... I think that toxic masculinity is probably a driving force behind a lot of the obsession side of things. Exactly. That's kind of Um, what I was getting at. But these these ones didn't quite seem right for obsession, so they're sort of Mm -hmm. in their own little subcategory. And then the last one I've got is the hot take social problems racism for Emmett Till. Yeah, that one's pretty cut and dried. It's lynching is horrible and we really need to speak out about it and do what we can in our communities to stop this from happening. And yes, that's true. And sadly, still kind of true. Yeah, and sadly, racial terror has only mutated, has not gone away. We're not seeing the same kind of public lynchings, but we are seeing police shootings and, you know, the targeting of, like, black churches and community 
areas by white nationalist and white supremacist people. And it, again, that face is not, the face of terror is not gone. It's only a little different. Yeah. That's what I have for motivation. Did you want to add some stuff on rationalization and things? I do think that it is. it would be interesting to look at what some of the songs are kind of trying to get the audience to think or feel. There's definitely some of them where the murderer is trying to get you to sympathize with them or, you know, be on their side in some way. And others where they are really not trying to do that. Like they're not trying to justify it in any way or in fact condemn themselves. It's like there are some interesting ones where the attempt to get you to sympathize or at least understand the position of the murderer is very explicit. Like with Murder Ballad, the narrator is painting a picture of the situation and expressing regret for it. Like she's clearly not excusing herself for her actions. And so I think you're supposed to feel sorry for her that she was in the situation, but also not like, I think you're supposed to understand, but not excuse in that one, which I think is really interesting and cool. And it's one of the reasons I like it so much, because I, I do think it's one of the more nuanced depictions. And then you have things like where the wild roses grow and the rake song where they don't actually, they're not trying to get you on their side. They're just telling you what happened and they don't necessarily seem to care if you agree with them or not. Yeah. Um, the rake in ex, you know, explicitly saying, yeah, you probably think I'm a monster, but whatever, I don't care. I'm fine. I've got, I got what I wanted and I'm good, you know? Um, and I think you do see a few where they're, tr- the murderer is clearly trying to get you to sympathize with them, like um, shotgun blues. I think you're supposed to get this idea that this is a, this is a young girl who has been treated in some terrible way and doesn't have the credibility in society because of her youth to have any sort of legal recourse or, you know, to get any, to get any justice through, you know, legal channels. Same thing with Goodbye Earl. You know, there's a woman who did try the proper channels and it didn't work. And so you're supposed to kind of, I think, conclude that this was the next best thing. This is the justice they could get, you know, and it's, you know, you shouldn't think they're terrible people because of it. Yeah. We haven't talked a lot about the music in these songs. Just trying to see if there are any like logical patterns for the music that I see sparking up. I, I don't think that the music tends to, like, you don't find that all the songs that are like this have a certain type of music. There's, it's very diverse. I do think that like there does seem to be two schools of thought on it. Of either either the music for murder ballads should be slow and melancholy and oh god these people are dead whatever. Like murder ballad and wild roses grow both very slow. Wild roses grow has a lot of sort of swelling sounds mm-hmm. um, with a lot of sort of strings. I want to say at the other end of the spectrum, it's songs that are very bouncy and jaunty. And in some cases, it's, I think, to sort of get you going along with it, like in Goodbye Earl. And mm-hmm. in some cases, it's just sort of to act as a counterpoint to it. I think that in the cases where it's very jaunty, that is pretty consistently communicating the narrator's lack of guilt. So the ones that are very jaunty and perky and bouncy, it's, I don't feel bad about this. I feel justified about this, or I think this is okay, or I'm, or the narrative is trying to pretend it's okay. Maxwell Silverhammer is an interesting one because that one's kind of tongue in cheek with the jauntiness. Maxwell is 
not, he doesn't feel bad. He's just killing people because he wants to kill them. And the music is from the, the point of view of Maxwell. Right. Well. The music is from the point of view of Maxwell, but there is, are some tongue in cheek implications that this is a problem socially. But yeah, the, I do think that that like bouncy, jaunty um, music behind some of these murder ballads always seems to sort of uh, cohere with the murderer's perspective of the murders. So with the rake song, it's somewhat bouncy as bouncy as his numbers get because <laughs> he's not regretful. He's, he feels free now. You know, it's like, ah, I've gotten, I've unloaded myself of my burdens and now I can, I'm free as a bird, you know? And then Maxwell Summerhammer, he has no remorse. Same, Possum Kingdom. same thing with Possum Kingdom. He doesn't seem to feel like this is a thing he shouldn't do. Goodbye Earl, definitely, like, they're justifying the hell out of this. Like, nope, this guy was a shitbag, no one misses him, it's good that he's dead, and we're way better off. Didn't know the gun was loaded. The people who are killing people in that song uh, don't care. They don't think it's a problem. They think it's a totally justified thing to do, and they don't feel bad about it. Um, let's see, what's another one that's kind of peppy? It's... Um, I don't know if happy uh, or... Excitable boy, like, yeah. excitable boy, the actual person who kills someone in that also doesn't seem to have any real awareness that this is a problem. Yeah, I don't know if it, I'd call it peppy or jaunty, but Mariner's Revenge, there's no remorse, but instead of it, in the same way that, like, I Want You isn't jaunty, it's like, to the musical stylings, it's more intense. It's intense. Um, I think that one's got a more yearning sound. Yeah, and especially with the Mariner's Revenge, that's sort of like repeated the tune of the curse. Yeah. And that that sort of ramping up towards the end of the sort of Tarantella type sort of yes, thing. Yes, and I do think the Tarantella in the end of that is one of the best illustrations of the music really saying something in the song. Because that one, it's that's an implication of dancing on this person's grave. Like, yeah. that's I'm so happy you're dying. I'm so happy you're suffering. This is everything I want, you know, and that's right there in the music, even though it's not said in exactly those words yeah. in the song. I think I agree that when the songs are more peppy and jaunty, that is a sign that the person isn't remorseful and agrees with what they're doing. I don't know if that's always the case. I think they're, they're, I don't think the reverse is the case. I don't think the reverse is always the case. Yeah. something like Carolina drama is a much more more toned down. Like, there's nothing in that song that's exactly jaunty. No. But I don't think that the uh, son in that story has any sadness over killing his mother's boyfriend. Yeah, same with Harper. Like, I, that one's right. not jaunty either. That's a... I think those are very much, this is what I have to do. Like, this is the thing that needs to happen in this situation. It's. I think it's more resignation. And I think that goes well with the tone of the music. And box that it came in probably yeah. doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. box that it came in. Those are those are more methodical. Those are A plus B equals C type formulas in those stories. It's like this is the situation. This is the demands of my honor in this situation, and this is what's got to happen. And that, so. that's shotgun blues as well. Yeah, and that that sort of aspect that the A plus B equals C thing, which is um, I, when we were talking about this off air, you were saying that like it's a weird song because it's addressing the murderer and mm -hmm. saying, if I had a shotgun, I'd, I'd kill you. Mm -hmm. I don't. So go get me a shotgun. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I really love the, the power move in that song. <laughs> like, especially as this is characterized as not a big girl. Like she says, if I were a big girl. So this is maybe someone, you know, around puberty or prepubescent who is confronting a man who 
reading between the lines has abused or molested her in some way saying I would kill you if I had a shotgun now go get me one so I can kill you and that's just very powerful and is an interesting thing gets to some of my thoughts on why people write these songs yeah as we didn't talk about that one as much earlier I do want to also just mention that when you were talking about um women who don't have the ability to do things other than perhaps kill people Mm -hmm. um, as a solution like with the if I was a big girl there's the side of things of like if I was a big girl, like, they'd hang you from a tree. So sort of yeah. like, if I was old enough that they'd believe me, yeah. then you'd be dead anyway. Mm-hmm. So go get it from that shotgun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, there's almost the unspoken, or you can wait a few years in dread until I'm old enough that people will believe me when I tell them about this. Yeah, It's not in the song, but I could definitely see it as part of that threat of, let's get this over with right now. <laughs> yeah. I think the last one I want to touch on musically mm-hmm. is Hollis Brown and the covers. Yeah. Or, well, at least the cover that we paid attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, as you mentioned earlier, that like people are still covering this today. Mm-hmm. Um, that song was originally written in 1962, mm-hmm. which is now 57 years ago. Bob Dylan's original version of it is very much, there's an intensity to it. And like a criticism of the situation and the society around it in that, in the tone for it, I think. And then Rise Against sort of amps it up to take it from being indignant to being angry, I think. I think the Rise Against cover has more of like a sharp pain in it. The way that Tim McElrath, you know, sings a lot of those lines is very keening. You know, he's, he is scream crying a lot of those lyrics. Like, it's hard to... It is his move. I mean, he does it very well. Like, I'm not trying to say that as a negative thing. I think that it is very powerful in that song. And it kind of gives you a sense of the emotion and, like, the desperation of Hollis Brown and how pathetic and hopeless the family is, how much pain they're in, and, like, why this man felt he needed to mercy kill his family and himself. Where I think that it shifts that attention a little bit more yeah. to that individual suffering. Yeah, and like I think it's interesting because I think with the first verse of the song, I think Rise Against sort of tries to match his tone and then ramps up on the last line of that, which is like, your kids can't seem to smile. Mm-hmm. And that really breaks into more of a Rise Against style of mm-hmm. rising against things. Yeah. It's a well-named band, okay? <laughs> yeah. I do really like the Rise Against cover. I think it's really powerful. And I, I felt like emotionally it was very powerful because of the way that it's sung. But I think that in terms of the themes of the actual lyrics, the Bob Dylan version, I think, gets to the point of it better. Because it's, I think that the focus is more on the community and like the failure of the community and their culpability in the situation. Yeah. I think if I use the word sermony, Mm-hmm. A, I don't think that's a word, but I think that might sound like I'm trying to be negative towards Bob Dylan, but I think at, particularly at this point with Ballad of Hollis Brown and Ballad of Emmett Till, like, he's sort of explaining mm-hmm. a problem, and he explains the situation, whereas I think, as you say, Rise Against, it's much more about the emotion of it. Yeah, like, I, I think with, with Bob Dylan, it's the, it's the article about why you should spay and neuter your pets, and the Rise Against cover is the Sarah McLaughlin ad. You know, like the one is more cerebrally informing you of the problem and the dangers and the consequences. 
and why those are bad. And the rise against one is just pulling right on those heartstrings. And it's yeah. just like, no, feel the pain of the consequences right now. Feel yeah. it. Yeah. So, was there anything else you wanted to say about the music? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that I just thought it was important that we talk yeah, about yeah. the musical dimension of some of these stories since it's a particular aspect of the medium. Yeah. I think well, that's covered most of the general stuff and perhaps we should move on to the big question. Yeah. Okay, so I think that the big question that is posed by all of the songs is what the fuck? Oh, really? Or, or perhaps, to put it more succinctly, why are these a thing? What is it that means that these are songs that have their own genre that are popular in our society and have been being written for a long time? And I mean, this is... The, the murder ballads are a more recent setting, or a more recent style of taking something, because, I mean, we can go back and look at... We've talked about Grimm's fairy tales, and we, like... I think that the oldest song that we've discussed today is Didn't Know the Gun That Was Loaded, which is 1949. I didn't check Fox of the Cane, and that might be I right. don't know. No, I'm pretty sure that some versions of the Outlandish Night are from, like, the 1800s and stuff. Okay. Like, there are versions of the Outlandish Night that are well, that, hundreds it, of that years goes old. back to folktales. Exactly. Um, yeah. But as far as actual songs go, and... We well, no, as, as songs, as ballads. Okay. And we haven't talked about it as much today. Well, we haven't talked about it today, which is Where Did You Sleep Last Night? Mm-hmm. Which I think the oldest recorded version might be Lead Bellies. But, I mean, I think there's been a lot of covers, including one by Nirvana. There's one by Sleigh Bells that just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been very heavily covered. And it, like you can go back and there's so many different versions of the story, which do or don't contain murders to varying degrees. But it's definitely been around for a long time. Yeah. I'm looking it up right now, and like the Lady Isabel and the Elf Knight, of which the most frequently collected variant is the Outlandish Knight, was published in 1750 to 1799 Europe. Published as a song or a story? Broadside. That's a type of newspaper? As a ballad. As a ballad. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Outlandish Knight's the oldest one. Yeah. Um, and again, multiple different versions of that. So they've been around for a while. Why? Do you want me to answer first, or do you have an answer you want to give first? I have an answer, and I want to hear your answer first. Okay. And if you turn out to have a better answer than me, I just want to it. <laughs> okay. So as to why, I think that there's kind of two reasons why. I think that some of them are illustrations of things that happen and that people want to call attention to so that people can either be prepared for them or, you know, deter them in society. But I think others of them are sort of a wish fulfillment, catharsis, type of exercise for not just the people who write them, but also the people who listen to them and enjoy them. The same kind of reason that most people write terrible and dark poetry in their teens. You know, it's it's not because you are actually going to do any of the things or, you know, believe any of that stuff that you write that's terrible, but it's because it's cathartic and it kind of gets it out of you and it can make certain things less overwhelming, you know, or it can be nice to indulge in some of these like dark fantasies, especially like power fantasies in a way that is pretty safe and pretty harmless. It's like singing a song about murdering somebody who's been horrible can be cathartic and can kind of help you to experience your anger or experience your sadness in a way that's not actually going to hurt somebody. Hmm. I hadn't really thought about the wishful fulfillment side of it as much. Have you? Um, ne- well, I don't know. I think especially the wish fulfillment thing, I think that might be really a thing with women and people in marginalized 
strata of society where if you have less power in society, you know, and feel like you're less able to exercise your authority or be considered powerful or feel powerful, it right. might be cathartic I, to have this sort of wish fulfillment. I mean, I, I hadn't thought that. about the songs as a form of wish fulfillment as such. It's an interesting consideration. And I think it sort of fits in with it with what I what I want to say about it. What I got down was that they're there to sort of in it. I bring up folk tales and fairy tales, like the sort of fairy tales that are like there's a horrible monster in the woods is a way to tell people don't go in the woods. Right, and I think um, that's what I was saying for the other group. Right, you know, there's the group of ones where it's like this is a social thing, this is a social ill that you should be aware of. Right, and I think that that's. The main thing from what I'm seeing is that they're there either to reinforce social values by showing something as being unacceptable Mm -hmm. or showing someone being punished for something that's unacceptable. And when I actually looked at them, there's a really nice line of distinction into sort of three categories. Mm -hmm. If you look at like the obsession and objectifying songs, in all the songs that we have, the murder comes off as being kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. It's not sympathetic and relatable. If rationalizing is attempted, it's not effective. Sure. Um, like with the rake, who's like, I felt trapped. I wanted to be free. You might think I'm horrible, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like I'm like you're an asshole. <laughs> like it's it's representing something that in our society, the person writing the song feels that that is not okay. Like in the cruel sister, two sisters songs. You're not supposed to think at the end of it, oh, yeah, no, it's totally okay to kill your sister to steal her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, in I Want You, I don't think you're supposed to come out of that and you think, hmm, you know what? If you can't get a guy, you should hit him with your car. They're showing things that you shouldn't do. And the same thing with, like, Ramona. Mm-hmm. On the other side of things, you have the revenge songs, where I think that in the on the whole, to some degree, the murderer is actually shown as being right. They tend to be more sympathetic, and it sort of reinforces this punishment for what society views as bad acts. If not right, then... Understandable. Yeah, understandable. Like, in the box that it came in, mm-hmm. you don't come out of that song going, well, yes, you should totally kill your husband. You do come out of it going, your husband should not steal all of your... Well, should not take everything you own, even your wedding dress. Mm-hmm. Like, there's very much a bad guy in that song. Mm-hmm. Like, the woman, the narrator is not in the right, necessarily, mm-hmm. but she's, we get where she's coming from. In Shotgun Blues, they take... I mean, if we take your reading between the lines of it, they take the hot take of, you shouldn't molest children. Yeah. Um, Goodbye Earl is a really great example of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that as our society goes the majority of people have come down that you shouldn't beat your wife. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's not the 50s anymore. And then there's this third category where it's always third person mm-hmm. and it's portraying these societal ills and it comes across much more as a sermon of here is a thing that is a problem that we need to address. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the Ballad of Emmett Till. It's Hollis Brown. I would say it's things like Excitable Boy mm-hmm. where it's more... It's not here, okay. Here is a yeah. story... This is a problem. We should look at this. Obviously, in the Bob Dylan ones, it's a little bit more explicit, especially in Emmett Till, mm-hmm. where he te- like almost gives you the next steps on what you should be doing once you've listened to his song. Mm-hmm. Like, 
he even says at the end, what are his exact lyrics? But he's like, basically, it, it basically ends with a call to action for people to stand up against this kind of thing in their community. Okay, so here's the last line of this, uh, the last verse of this song. This song is just a reminder to remind your fellow man that this kind of thing still lives today in the Ghost Road Ku Klux Klan. But if all of us folks that thinks alike, if we gave all we could give, we could make this great land of ours a greater place to live. Yeah, it's pretty explicit. On the nose, perhaps. Yeah. So what your answer is making me think is that I think your answer is a lot of why people write these songs. It's the same reason that there are a lot of species that have alarm calls that might threaten them, but it's in the good of it's in the interest of the good of the community for people to know about the hawk that's coming or mm. whatever it is. But I think that my answer is more why people listen to them and why they continue to catch hold of our imaginations. I think that that the reasons I gave of, you know, the, the catharsis, the being able to kind of have these um, emotional expressions that you can't actually act out in real life, and also to have this story of the same reason we read fairy tales, you know, because they are adaptive in the same ways that you're talking about. I think those are both reasons that we listen to them. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Okay. I think I can go with that. And I'd say maybe to an extent when you're listening to a song that's saying this thing is bad or this mm -hmm. thing should be punished. Mm -hmm. um, there's at least, there's perhaps a, someone's on the same page as me kind of feel mm -hmm. like I'm not alone sure. as well as the, yeah, it, it can be it can be comforting to know that you're not the only person who has had dark and fucked up thoughts that they would never act on. Yeah. And when somebody creates a murder ballad, you know that they've had dark and fucked up thoughts that they presumably never acted on. Except Nick Cave. Except obviously <laughs> <laughs> um, But there's also um, the extent of like listening to some of these things, especially the ones that are like, these are terrors in our society. I think it's the same reason we watch horror movies. It, it's helpful to demystify things and like to kind of get scared on purpose or kind of think about yeah. these things in a context where you are safe so that you don't have to be terrified of them all the time. Yeah. That's fair. I think that that's perhaps the best answer we've managed to give to a big question so far. Yeah, well, you know, three episodes in. So I think that's a good answer to the big question. But I think perhaps the bigger question posed here is, if Nick Cave called you up and said, hey, I wrote a song about murdering someone and thought of you, would you agree to record it with them? I think I would not. I Yeah, I didn't know that. Apparently, for context, guys, apparently Nick Cave wrote the song Where the Wild Roses Grow with Kylie Minogue in mind as the duet partner and contacted Kylie Minogue to record it with him and she agreed to record it with him. And they've appeared on stage and yep, all this sort of thing. And I, I feel like that was a very confident move on Kylie Minogue's part. Yeah. yeah. We haven't made Nick Cave in a great light in this. I don't actually know that much about him. Like... Other than that, he's vegan. <laughs> what? He it's is. Just a, uh, it's okay. He only kills people. I mean, I think that's most of our vegan friends' stance. Uh, he's vegetarian. <laughs> okay. So, fun facts, because we could do with a laugh after all this. Or at least an interested chuckle. Mm-hmm. So, Nick Cave of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and the... Uh, 
and the song Where the Wild Roses Grow is also the subject of a vegan cookbook called Comfort Eating with Nick Cave, Vegan Recipes to Get Deep Inside of You by Autumn Zing. Deep Inside of You. Deep Inside of You. Those are, that is the subtitle. That is part of the subtitle. There's also a similar vegan cookbook on Morrissey, so less appropriate to the podcast. So I have two. Mm-hmm. The first one is Bob Dylan is either a weird dude or messes with reporters and has them for a long time. So Bob Dylan put out Ballad of Hollis Brown and the Ballad of Emmett Till in 1962. In 1965, he said to a Newsweek reporter, I've never written a political song. Songs can't save the world. I've gone through all that. Never written political song. Did I need to read that last verse of Emmett Till again? He has also said, at another point, I'm speaking for all of us. I'm the spokesman for a generation. But not political, guys. But not political. Not political. Um, yeah. And then my, my personal favorite, possibly my personal favorite fun fact I've ever had, and three episodes in, the most fun fact I've ever had, is for Country Death Song. Apparently the president of the Violent Femmes record label doesn't like the song. He thought it was a really good song until the piano came in and ruined it. What? Which, uh, as, as you may have realized, there is not a piano in that song, and the band came to the conclusion that the president of their record label could not tell the difference between a piano and a banjo. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Those are very different instruments. <laughs> they are. Talking of very different instruments, or talking of different instruments at least, uh, I do need to issue a correction to myself from earlier in this episode. I spent a lot of time harping on um, Pentangle's five-minute instrumental break, heavily featuring a xylophone solo, having done a brief amount of research it's actually a five minute, uh, five minute and thirteen second instrumental break, heavily featuring a dulcitone so- solo. Yeah. I apologize for my error. I'm glad you. I'm glad you clarified that. I'm sure we would have had a lot of very angry musicians commenting about that. Yes, would have been a real problem. I would have been mad at myself. Let's be honest here. Yeah. Okay, that, that's what I got. Anything else to add? I don't think so. On the assumption that Sean hasn't managed to edit this down to a reasonable length, because that's just a Herculean task at this point, I'm sorry this episode was so long. Uh, we've had a couple of people who have said to us that they would like to have an idea of what we're going to be doing in the future, so that they can read along with us. With Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up, we're doing a couple of things that are going to be slightly shorter works, because we don't have all the time in the world to read, which is sad. So this episode is dropping on 11.27, so happy Thanksgiving to Americans for tomorrow. On December 4th, we're going to drop an episode on Nightmare Before Christmas. On the 11th of December, we're going to do an episode on The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin. On the 18th of December, we're going to do Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol as we start to get into the holiday spirit. Yeah, holiday spirits. And we're also going to do the Muppets Christmas Carol because I like Muppets and I don't like Dickens. And on Christmas Day, we will drop an episode on How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Because I love it and I find it an indispensable part of the holiday season. Yes. Those are subject to mild change, depending on what happens in our lives, but that's definitely the plan. Uh, we're also going to post that list to our social media, or we'll have actually posted that list about a week ago when I said this. You can find our social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Unramblings, on Twitter at UnramblingsPod. You can also email us at unramblingspodcast at gmail.com. 
feel free to contact us with things that you thought we did wrong, things you thought we did right, things you'd like to see us do. Uh, we also encourage you to email us to contribute to the discussion, but also to talk to us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and use the hashtag unramblings. And we will do our best to respond to everyone that posts. Thanks for bearing with us through this probably too long episode. We hope that you will come back next week. We could take the spoons. I was, I think in the future, maybe there should be a no spoons during the recording rule. Yeah, maybe. I anticipate it being really irritating when I'm editing. (laughs) Just be like, Shaking I, my fist at the heavens. I anticipate you being really annoying here. Again, so. mm-hmm. I didn't know. I didn't know. The moon was loaded. <laughs>